0: Thank you, Scott. Good morning. This fall, we have been looking at what it means for us to fish in deeper waters. And as a reminder, deeper waters comes from Luke 5, 1-11, uh, through 11, where Jesus asked Simon Peter and others who were fishing at the Sea of Galilee to put their boats out from the shore into deeper waters and let down their nets for a catch. This, this, when the disciples were obedient to Jesus' command, they caught so many fish that the Bible says it tore their nets And it nearly sank two boats. Uh, We, of course, have been looking at what it means for us as Christ followers and and as a church to fish in the deeper waters as it pertains to our own transformation and the mission and ministry of ECC. So with that in mind, I want to take a look this morning at what deeper waters God might be calling us uh, into individually and as a church in what Paul calls the grace of giving. Now, throughout this sermon series, Stacy has uh, uh, has been approaching, choosing the text and topic based on what the Holy Spirit is doing uh, in in His laying on His heart week to week, uh, and He has challenged the rest of us to take the same approach as we preach uh, this fall. Uh, it's been our custom at ECC to spend a few weeks on the topic of stewardship in November. Last week, Stacy preached on the grace of gratitude. Uh, And as I was praying about what I might preach on in the area of stewardship, I'm going to confess that I didn't initially want to preach on giving. Um, I've preached several sermons on giving in the past, and uh, frankly, I was looking for something new and different. But what God has been doing in my life recently has been centered around the the grace of giving and his own call in my life to fish fish in deeper waters and be even more generous as it were. So let me start by saying that it isn't because of some specific need for the church that I chose this. It wasn't a directive from the council or from Stacy to, to increase giving. It isn't because I feel like I need to motivate you. This is what God is doing in my heart at this stage in my life, and this is what I feel I'm to share with the church this morning. So I want to do something a little different. This morning, I want to start with just a high, higher-level survey across the Old Testament and the New Testament, taking a look at what the Bible says about giving. Now, where, where did all this start? You know Howard Dayton, who founded Crown Ministry, states that there's 2,350 verses in the Bible dealing with money and possessions. So, so why are there so many? This, this appears to be a, an important, reoccurring subject throughout Scripture. And Jesus affirms its importance saying, so if you have not been found trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? So, here we go. Uh, Just giving in the Bible, summarized in a few minutes. So, the absolute first story of giving in the Old Testament is Cain and Abel, giving their offerings to God. The first reference to the tithe actually happens in Genesis 14, where Abraham gave a tenth of everything he had to Melchizedek, Melchizedek, who the Bible calls a priest of God Most High. Now, later in Genesis 28, Jacob commits to God that he will give a full tenth of all all that God provides him. Now, later when a law is given to Moses several times in Exodus and Leviticus, the first 10% is called holy or set apart for God. So Levit- Leviticus twenty-seven thirty states a tithe of everything from the land whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees belongs to the Lord it is holy to the Lord. Numbers eighteen twenty-one states that the tribes of Israel were to give a tithe to the Levites and then verse 26 states that the Levites were also to tithe on the tithe that they received. Oh, well, in his book money possessions and eternity author Randy Alcorn states that actually there was not just one tithe for Israel but rather three so I just re- referenced one the support for the, le- the priests and the Levites Deuteronomy 12 and chapter 14 reference another to provide for a sacred festival and then Deuteronomy 14 and chapter and also chapter 26 reference a third tithe that supported orphans widows and the poor now these first tithes were to both the first two tithes were given annually and a third was given every three years so Alcorn states that this averaged 23% of year. Now, because Israel was a nation, as well as a spiritual community, some of these funds would equate to taxes that we pay today. Um, but what I think is important is the mindset of Israel regarding the tithe. Again, Alcorn states that people, the people of Israel did not give a tithe, but rather they repaid a tithe, To the owner of all things. So so we can see how this really informs the language of what are probably considered the most well known verses in the Old Testament from the prophet Malachi when he speaks for God. Malachi is speaking for God when he says, Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, How are we robbing you in tithes and offerings? You're under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Okay, so he says, bring it in that there might be food in my house. This is, we're familiar with this passage. It's, it's strong language. But when we understand the context and the purpose of the tithe for both the spiritual and the civic community that, that was Israel, not tithing for them was equivalent to like tax evasion. But I don't think tax evasion carries enough gravity I'd much rather be guilty of tax evasion than I would be robbing God. So I'm going to leave that passage in Malachi uh, right there for a moment. I know some of you are thinking, wait a minute, Kurt. The real cool part comes next where God tells us to test him. I know. I know. um, I'm going to come back to that, I promise. All right. Let's move into the New Testament. Now, I'm a strong believer in the New Covenant's superiority over the Old Covenant. Now, today, some Christians would, would say that tithing was part of the Old Testament. And therefore, it's not something Christians... Uh, are, are required to participate in. Again, Randy Alcorn states that in his opinion, the New Testament example of giving goes way beyond the tithe. We are never told specifically that tithing has been superseded in the New Testament. And Jesus, actually, in my opinion, affirms this practice in a passage where he's rebuking the Pharisees. This is in Matthew 23. He's saying to the Pharisees regarding tithing, You have neglected the more important spiritual matters of the law. Justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without without neglecting the former. So I think this is a very important passage. When we consider how how Jesus felt about the tithe and how he felt about the law. Now notice he said, Jesus didn't say you should have practiced the latter rather than the former. But notice he says without neglecting the former. So Jesus was a Jew. He grew up in a Jewish home. I'm guessing that family tithe. Another thought from Randy Alcorn. You know, Jesus was scrutinized by his opponents and enemies for about every possible offense, including breaking the Sabbath several times. But never once did they ever accuse him of violating the law of tithing. Lastly, in our brief survey this morning, I want to look at Paul. Paul never mentions the word tithe, but he has much to say ...about giving in his letters. And I want to focus this morning on one verse... ...that has really been on my mind a lot lately. We, we get a lot from Paul on giving and generosity... ...from his letters to the Corinthians church. Mainly in, uh, it's about an offering that's going to be picked up... ...for the church in Jerusalem. We find most of this in 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. But as it pertains to, to fishing in the deeper waters of giving... ...this one verse in the middle of all this, really stands out to me. It it was read earlier, 2 Corinthians 8, 7. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in the complete earnestness, and in love that we have kindled into you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. This grace of giving. Now, I I have read this passage many times. And this time, that word, grace, in the Greek, Stands out to me. Pastor Stacy talked about caras last week. It's, it's God's influence on our heart. The accommodator J. Paul Sampley say, says, as recipients of God's grace, his caras, we, we must pass it on. Every encounter with another person is an opportunity to be a channel of God's grace. And, and he continues, in fact, to not think of grace this way is probably to cheat God and certainly cheat others. And you think about that statement, it's not that different from Malachi when you think about it. So I want to look at this grace of giving just a little differently this morning. I want to view it from an angle of investing for and investing in eternity. Okay, so I'm 56 years old, which that means unless I live to be 112, I have more days behind me than I have in front of me, all right? Uh, My parents lived to be 84 And 92, so if you like simple math, you can average those two numbers, you're going to get 88 years of age. Psalm 90, 12, the psalmist says, teach us to number our days, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. I think that's essentially what I just did. Now, is it at all accurate? Only God knows, right? Pending Christ's return, good health, and other things, if I live to be 88, I have 32 years left on this earth in this lifetime. The Bible says in Romans 14, 12, that I will stand before Jesus and give an account for what I did with my time, what I did with my resources. And a question that I have been pondering quite a bit lately is how is God going to evaluate this upper middle class man born in the richest country in the history of his church and how he handled the resources he gave to him? You know, thinking about the parable of the talents. Did he invest wisely, or did he squander? Did he hide? Did he bury what God provided? Did I, am I, excelling in this grace of giving? Okay, so this lens of investing. Investing is kind of an interest of mine. I, I'm I'm kind of a personal finance nerd, and over the years I've taken a, a, a just a full dive into the biblical financial concepts that are laid out in crown financial the financial study financial peace university ron blue uh, others i think all these tools get it right in my opinion it's really a a simple hierarchy of giving to god first saving next and then having a plan to live on the rest so you don't have to borrow money to do so i think all that is consistent with the whole counsel of god that we see in scripture and i've preached on this many times (laughs) i'm not going to take a time the time this morning to recap that but I let's take a look at this this idea of investing and what we invest in so there are countless ways to invest right you you can invest in the stock market you that including mutual funds your 401k your 403b uh, you can invest in bonds you can invest in real estate you can invest in currency you can invest in cryptocurrency you you can invest for the short term trying to make money quickly You can invest for the long term, which I'd be more of a proponent of, using your retirement vehicles to provide for a future when you may not have quite the earning potential that you have now. You know, a passage that's always used to support that type of savings comes from Proverbs 6, where it says, go to the ant, you sluggard, and consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provision in the summer and it gathers its food at harvest. But last, and most important, you can invest for the eternal term. Jesus says in Matthew 6, Do not store up for yourself treasures on this earth, where moss and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moss and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, Jesus says, there your heart will be also. So, not only can we invest in the short term, the long term, In the eternal term I think we can also get stuck living overly of thinking obsessing focusing on particularly those first two terms so if you're in a position where you're living paycheck to paycheck making minimum payment on your credit card bills if you're surviving day-to-day you're you're probably stuck in the short term now in all fairness maybe there's a good reason you're stuck there maybe I know the pandemic has been hard on many Life may have dealt you blows that you're still reacting to, but maybe much of why you're there is your own doing, including a lack of attention and awareness to have a plan to get unstuck. Again, financial peace, crown, fantastic biblical approaches to that, all right? But maybe you're here this morning, and if you're honest with yourself, you're really more stuck and obsessed with the long term. So maybe you're in a position where you you can save and you're doing it. Perhaps you're fixated on those last 20, 30, 40 years of your life. And you're not going to get caught unprepared. Now I'm not here to say that focusing on the long term is bad. I'm not saying it's bad, but I have personally been convicted lately that my thoughts and focus at times have been too much on the long term. And not enough on the eternal term. See, if we let it, the world will bombard us with about anything. It will bombard us with fear of not having enough to live out our days. It's easy to get caught up in it, particularly the older we get. So I want to take a look at this act of giving as an investment in eternity it's the amount that we invest in the eternal term it's it's an investment in the kingdom yes but it but it's also an investment in ourselves when as part of the kingdom because as jesus said in matthew 6 that we are literally storing up treasures for yourself in heaven i say to every to any of the financial classes that i ever teach that you, you should know your numbers do you know how much you give both in terms of dollars and percentage wise do you know how much you save What percentage goes to the long-term? What percentage goes to the eternal term? One of the things I'm not going to do this morning, I'm not going to give you a prescription. We already laid out the biblical foundation that the Old Testament, uh, the starting point was the tithe. And that the New Testament, in my opinion, raises the bar from there. But percentages matter. And I think they're biblical. Now you've probably heard of stewardship and giving broken down this way before... But I really like what's called the four P's of giving. The four P's, plan giving, priority giving, percentage giving, and lastly, progressive giving. And I want to briefly unpack these four things this morning and show the biblical support for this. I, this is the mentality for how we will fish in deeper waters as givers. And how we, as Paul says, how we might excel in this grace of giving. Okay, so the first P is Plan. Uh, the Apostle Paul says to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians sixteen two On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. Paul says in his second letter to the Corinthians, each of you should give what, God has decide, what, what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Paul is saying each of you should decide. Each of you should plan. He's saying you need to give thought to this. I say... Giving is worship. And worship shouldn't be done haphazardly. It's worthy of your prayerful thought and your contemplation. It shouldn't just be an afterthought. Okay, number two, priority giving. We should give to God first and live on the rest. God instructs his children, Israel, and many places in the Old Testament to honor him with their wealth first. This, this is the idea of first fruits. I think Proverbs 3, 9 States it as succinctly as anywhere that we are to honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your crops. This is the first and the best of the harvest. This is stated several times in the book of Leviticus. Uh, give it, this giving of first fruits, I think it made an important statement. It says, God, we give our first and our best to you, God. Giving to God first recognizes that He's the owner of all things, He has given it to us, and we honor. And acknowledge that fact by giving it back to him first. Not just taking what he gave us, using it, and then giving him back what's left over. In Matthew 6.33, Jesus states, but seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. I think many have this backwards. If your giving comes out of what's left after you spend your money, I think you have it backwards. Backwards. I think God will honor and bless you if you do things his way, if you give to God first and live on the rest. Now, the third P is percentage giving. Believe it or not, God cares about percentages. Percentages matter. Numbers matter. I advocate that we should all know what we give. We should know it. It shows intentionality. It shows concern. Frankly, I think it shows affection toward what should be the primary relationship in our lives with him who is the, the provider of all that we have. So knowing the percentages as being a good steward. We've already referenced the Old Testament. The tithe was the baseline and that was the expectation for Israel. And that Jesus being Jewish, born into a Jewish home, would have understood and honored that. I think the early church in Acts would have carried that foundation with them. But percentage, matter, percentage giving actually mattered to Jesus. And in Luke 21 and Mark 12, Jesus singled out one of the biggest givers when he drew the disciples' attention to a poor widow who put all that she had into the temple treasury. And he stated that she put in more that day than all the rich that he saw giving on that particular day at the temple. Now, did she put in more money? No. Not by a long shot. But Jesus said she put in more. Jesus valued percentage over the quantitative amount. He gave that a greater value. So if percentage giving was important to God. It should be important to us. Another question. Do you know your percentage? If not. Simply I think you should do the math. If you're here this morning. And this is, I want you to hear this. If you're here this morning. And you are not yet at the level where you're tithing. There's no condemnation. There's no condemnation. But you can't work to get better. If you don't know where you are. You know, when I first started attending ECC back in the 90s, uh, we were in the middle of a building com- campaign that built the facilities that we worship in and enjoy today. And the scriptural funding campaign had a tagline. I think it was on the pink envelopes and it was on bookmarks that said, not equal giving, but equal sacrifice. It leads to the, the final P, progressive giving. So over the years here at ECC, we've, we've had a number of emphasis that pointed to this grace of progressive giving you know when i first started attending ecc 25 years ago we had a goal of moving our giving toward the tithe and beyond a few years ago pastor stacy initiated this, what's called a storehouse challenge challenging us to to evaluate our giving perhaps even raising it a percent or a half a percent the idea here is that as we grow spiritually we're not expected to remain the same we should also grow in this grace of giving A couple weeks ago, Pastor Stacy quoted Scott McKnight, who defined faith simply as trust over time. Trust over time. See, coming to faith in Jesus is just a start. So as we grow, we we grow and we trust him more in every area, all areas, including this grace of giving. So again, Randy Alcorn, he calls, he says, tithing is the training wheels of giving. And what he means by that is is you kind of need them at the start. But soon you begin to ride free and fast and, you you know, it's like a bike. You don't think about the training wheels anymore. You're well past that. We often talk about tithes and offerings. Offerings include having the margin in your life to be able to react spontaneously to how God moves around you and, and creates an opportunity for you to be generous. You know, both the Old Testament and the New Testament are full of examples where God's people were called to do just that thing. So one of the things that happens to me every time, every time I preach on stewardship, is as I study the Scripture, and pray about what God wants me to say to the church, the grace of God and the Holy Spirit work in me, and it challenges me to reevaluate my own giving and do even more. So consider that fair warning if you ever want to preach. I share this story. I share this story every time I preach about giving. It's a story about how I began tithing. Okay? Stories matter. And I shouldn't stand up here and preach on this, or anything for that matter, if I'm not willing to share my journey with you. All right? So I know many of you have heard this story before, uh, uh, but there's some new people. So you, some of you are going to have to hear this again. Okay? Joe and I met when we traveled with a full-time Christian music ministry. Uh, that group that we traveled with the support came from Free Will Offerings, but but this was our vocation, all right? We were paid to do this. Um, but it wasn't much. Uh, we were based out of Austin, Texas, uh, but most of the time we were on the road doing 250 concerts a year. So even though we lived on a bus and our meals were taken care of, uh, were provided, I, I certainly did not have a lot of margin in my life at that point. But as I was traveling and as I was growing... In Christ, I I came to the place that I realized that I needed to give a tithe of my income, which was really a stipend, to the Lord. And I was convicted that in this area of money, I needed to do this. And I needed to start. And it wouldn't necessarily be any easier to to wait to start than it would be just to start. So, the ministry with which I traveled was essentially my church. Uh, I didn't know where else to give, so... I just wrote a check back to the group for 10% of my income. Frankly, $15 based on $150 a week at that time. Now, frankly, it wasn't hard. I believe that part of the grace of giving is that as my income has gone up over the years, in the years since, it's never been any harder to just calculate a tithe and give to God first. Ever since I started giving later when Joe came into my life, All other financial decisions are subject to what we really consider a non-negotiable. We're going to give to God first, and then we're going to live on the rest. Now, as the years have gone by, God has blessed Joe and I with the grace to progress. Progress into other areas of sacrificial giving. Now, I know we have some very, very generous people here at ECC uh, and I know this isn't new to many of you, and I, but I know you'll agree with this, that there's never been a time when I gave to the Lord, whether it was to the local church or sacrificial giving in some way or some other need, giving to the poor, whatever. There's never been a time that I've regretted it or I gave a second thought to it once it was given. So my question is, where are you this morning? Are you stuck in the short term? Are You know, servicing debt that you've created, living day to day. Does this idea of living on 90% of what God provided for you seem overwhelming to you? If that's you, I want you to know you can get there. There is a grace in giving. This biblical concept is not beyond your ability. God is not asking you to do something you can't do. He, He asked his people of Israel to do it, and since the birth of the New Testament church, this grace of giving remains. In fact, this is the only place in scripture where God actually challenges you to test him in this. Now I'm going to go back to Malachi. We picked that up in verse 10. Again, where God says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there might be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. Test me in this. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. And then it gets really specific. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your field will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. You see, I see provision in this. Provision. I see, I see grace. Not, I see provision not from you to God, but from God to you. The gracious, generous God to you. I think these verses have more promise in them than they have expectation. Now, perhaps you're here this morning and you just need to do that thing. You need to step out in faith and test God in this matter. See what fishing in the deeper waters might do to your faith, what it might do to your relationship with Jesus, what it might even do to your finances as you steward over things God's way. Well, perhaps you're here this morning and you are tithing and Maybe you're, you're even giving beyond that sacrificially, but you realize that you can fish in even deeper waters. Perhaps you realize that more of your time and your energy is focused on the long term than it is on the eternal term. I mean, your finances are in good shape, but if you realize that you are called to give an account before the master, both in terms of the percentages you invest, where you invest them, and the energy you give, maybe things aren't where you think they should be. Frankly, this has been my conviction several times over the years as I've grown. And like I said, I've got 32 years, plus or minus, whatever the Lord wills. I was born in the richest country at the richest time in the history of of Christ's church so far. and, And I am convicted that I need to invest more wisely. Not under compulsion, as Paul says, but under grace. Under grace, because God is good. God is rich. He is a generous God. He calls me to fish a little bit deeper. So I share this with you this morning because this is what's on my heart. Perhaps this message isn't as much for ECC as it is maybe for the church in America. You know, at the end of the parable of the talents, Jesus said, from everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. From the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. Would you pray with me? So, Lord, as as we prepare to come to your table, God, we thank you that before we, we ever gave anything to you, you gave yourself to us through your life, your death, and your resurrection. You are the ultimate example of a sacrificial giver, Jesus. And, Lord, you know each of our hearts. You know if there's something in our hearts that we haven't surrendered to you. You also know every detail about our finances and how we're handling what it is you gave us. You know if we are fishing at the right depths of water for our situation, for our life stage, and for what you have given us as talents. Lord, help us to excel in this grace of giving. So would you come and deal with us now as we prepare to even come to your table? Amen.